Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. I want to ask you a question. So today is New Year's Day. You know what I've learned about New Year's Day is if you are in church on New Year's Day, it means you think this is pretty important, right? Like you could go watch the, is the Tournament of Roses parade on right now? Is that happening right now? All of you are like, I don't know. I would rather be in church. Um, there's, lots of, there's lots of other places on January 1st you could be, but if you're here, it's because you think this is important. And so what I want to do as we start out the year, as we start out this new year, is I want to lay a foundation for the year, okay? And so this is like, it's going to feel a little bit different than my normal messages. Not a lot, but a little bit. But this is a more like, I don't know how to say it other than to say it's like a more pastoral word than a message preached. Does that make sense? You'll be, it'll become evident here in a minute. How many of you have New Year's resolutions? Nobody wants to admit it. Okay, two of you. The rest of you are like, oh yeah, I forgot. That's a thing. I could form. So, How many of you are planning over the next week to come up with New Year's resolutions? Anyone? Any of you? Okay. Okay. More? Um, I, I, I think that this time of year is like a special time to do resolutions because everybody feels like this natural breaking point, right? Like, we just went from one year, I'm not going to bring all that crap into this year, I'm going to be new. I get a fresh start, it's a clean slate, 2023, I haven't messed up my life the way that I did last year, right? It's, it's a great time to make a, a, a natural start, and, and I don't know if you know how long New Year's resolutions have been a thing, but... Uh, Webster says it's around 200 years. So about the past 200 years, people have been forming New Year's resolutions. But I want to, I wanna, like, try something out this year. So for 200 years, everybody makes their own New Year's resolutions. Show of hands, how many of you this year are willing to let me give you a New Year's resolution? Hey, that was more than I thought. You know, the Internet says you're supposed to mistrust authority. This is good. This is good. <laughs> um, here's what I want to do. As we begin this new year, and everyone all over the place is making New Year's resolutions, I want to pastorally offer you a New Year's resolution that will change the rest of your life. Pastorally offer you a New Year's resolution that if you choose to live into it, if you choose in 2023 to live this way, it will radically alter everything for the rest of your life. And it will fix all the things that you're hoping to fix. Over a period of time, it will fix all those things that you're hoping to fix with those lesser than resolutions. And so what I'm calling this message today is, if I could make your New Year's resolutions, okay? Let's pray, and then let's, let's look at Scripture. So Lord, I do just thank you that you are a generous and a gracious God. And God, that you that you have provided for us and you continue to do so. And God, I pray that you would come into this space, God, that you would fill my heart with your words and that what come out of my mouth is from your heart, God. Lord, I pray that you would put power on the message that I'm gonna speak, Lord, that it would be entirely from you and that if there's any selfish motive or anything in myself that's not of you, Lord, that it would just go, disappear that it would just fall away. 
Lord, fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You look with me at uh, Philippians chapter 3. That got really loud for just a second. Philippians chapter 3, it's in the New Testament. It's about, if you're looking in your Bible, it's about that far back. There's like a little bit left. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going we're gonna to read this, but Paul's, while you're turning there, Paul's writing to this church in Philippi that he planted. And you can read about Paul planting this church in Philippi uh, in Acts chapter 16. So this is like a recorded church that, that, uh, that Paul plants. And the tone of this letter is different than just about every other letter that Paul writes. Every other letter Paul writes, he's going, you guys have screwed it up again. You guys, you're so messed up in the head. You have, your theological ideas are so twisted. Let me fix you. Every other letter, it's Paul going, well, you guys are, you just don't understand something. Let me tell you what to do in this situation. Or I understand that your church is sort of falling apart. Let's talk about what you need to do to go forward. But in Philippians, Paul doesn't do that. It's a different tone. It's a, it's a more friendship tone. What, what becomes evident early on is that Paul loves these people, and he calls them partners in the gospel. It's a letter of friendship to encourage this church who is undergoing suffering. Interestingly enough, that's what this is supposed to be. That's what church is supposed to be, that we live as followers of Jesus who are partners in the gospel in the city, and we come back and we encourage one another, we lift one another up, we rally together, we pray for each other so that we can go back out and be Christians in the world. That's what's happening in the letter to the Philippians. And Paul calls these people partners in the gospel. And just as an aside, you're going to hear more about this in the coming weeks. Uh, I know a number of you have said, what does it mean? How, like, how can I be a member at the vineyard? We don't really do membership. But what we're doing is partnership. There's a biblical uh, basis for what we're trying to do. So beginning, you'll hear more about this in the coming weeks, but we're going to run what's called a partnership class at the end of the month, January 29th. It'll be right after church. Make plans to be here for that if you consider this your church home. Um, and all we're going to say is, this is, what, this is the mission that we believe we're on. And the co-laborers or the partners in this mission, we all agree that this is the mission that we're on. So um, you can be here for that. But the idea is that we're partners on the mission of Jesus. And so in Philippians, Paul's writing from prison as he suffers to this church who's also suffering. And he's trying to lift them up. He's trying to encourage them. He's trying to, to um, express his gratitude that they've been a generous church. And so he writes this letter. And when Paul gets to chapter 3, he, write, he wants to remind the church how to deal with this crew of people that's just been following Paul around. Everywhere he goes to plant a church, this crew of people called the Judaizers show up and they say, well, Paul gave you half a message. Yeah, it's good that you believe in Jesus, but if you actually want to be the people of God, you have to adopt and take on the Mosaic law. You actually have to get circumcised and keep special food laws. You actually have to obey the law. So these guys come around and are, are, are trying to make people Jewish in order to be Christian. And so Paul writes in the second half of verse 4 in response to this, and here's what we read. It says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul's saying, I know about this being the people of God by the law. Verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind And straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul in this passage paints two pictures of righteousness for us. Two pictures. The first picture that Paul paints of righteousness is a a picture of obedience to the law that earns you a righteous standing. See, in the Old Testament, God called a people to himself and said, you're going to be the people who demonstrate to the world what I'm like. You're going to be the people who show the world the way it's supposed to work. And so he gave them the law so that they would know how to live in such a way that they could show the world how God intended the world to work. And so they were given this law, and so obedience to the law, conformity to the law resulted in being deemed righteous. The degree to which you lived up to the law made you righteous. And Paul says, I know all about that. I know all about what it is to gain righteousness by the law. And what Paul says is, I have it. The whole verses four to six is saying, it's not like I didn't get it, I got it. That's what he's saying. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was born in the right nation. I'm of the right people group. I'm of the right family. I was circumcised on the right day. I've kept all the laws. And at the end of verse 6, he says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Nobody could point at me and say that I didn't keep it. Paul says, I know everything about that life. I know everything about what it is to live up to the standard and to be deemed righteous based on living up to the standard. Here's the problem with that kind of righteousness. It's never secure. If you're chasing righteousness based on your own ability to keep some standard, it's never secure. Because every day is another day for you to fall. Every day. Some of you who have tried to live up to all of the things that the Bible says that you're supposed to live up to know how fruitless that is that you try to live a life in conformity to all the things and you try to strive to live that life 
and it's never secure. You're on a treadmill that will never end of trying to prove yourself worthy. Maybe you know that one. You're trying to live up to the standard, and every day you know the taste of failure. Every day. I know this is what the Bible says. I'm trying to live up to the standard. This is the law. But I fall again, and so I muster up some resolve. I'm going to try harder, and maybe for a little while I'm actually having success. And then it all comes crashing down over and over You say, well, it's 2023, I'm going to make a resolution. I'm going to stop drinking this year. I'm going to stop being an alcoholic this year. I'm going to give it up. This is my resolution. I'm going to live up to the standard, and I'm going to stop being a drunk. A few days in, it all comes crashing down. Where you had righteousness for a few days, and now you're not. Or to this is the year I'm going to give up porn. This is the year that I'm going to let it go. I've already made my, my, my resolutions. I haven't told anybody about them because I'm embarrassed. And I feel a great amount of shame. But I'm going to do it. And for a few days, you live up to it. See, I'm getting there. I'm righteous. This is righteousness. And then it all comes crashing down again. I was going to stop gossiping. This is going to be the year that I stop talking about people and I stop being mean-spirited towards people. And for a few days, it works. And then you have to go back to work. And you have to be with those people again. And your righteousness comes falling down. The problem with this kind of righteousness is that it's never secure. What it will do is put you on a never-ending treadmill that only has two possible outcomes. One is that you're a constant failure. The Old Testament showed us that the nation of Israel never could live up to it. Over and over and over and over and over. Constant failure. Number two, you actually are successful and you become self-righteous. Neither of those are good options. The Bible doesn't look very happily on either one of those. Self-righteousness is something other than God-righteousness. It makes you God, which the Bible calls idolatry. Neither of those are good options. But Paul paints us another picture of righteousness. He says there's another option. The other option is righteousness, righteousness that God gives you that's on the basis of faith in Jesus. You can't live up to the standard Jesus did, and you place all of your faith, all of your hope, all of your trust on Jesus. And you say, the only way that I'm righteous is that God has given me righteousness because of what Jesus has done. So this, this is, sounds like a great deal, right? Too good to be true? Like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. I know I can't live up to this stuff. Jesus did, and the offer is that I will be declared righteous even though I'm not? Sounds like a great deal. There's a cost. Here's the cost. The cost is that when you choose to receive the righteousness of Jesus on your behalf, you turn over the keys to your life. You turn over all of the rights that you think you have to call the shots. That's the cost. You can be declared righteous today, 
by Jesus. God will give you that righteousness. And in exchange, you say, I'm no longer in charge of my life. Those are the two choices. And so Paul stacks these two things up, right? You sort of see him doing this. He's like, here's all the things that I have gained. All the righteousness based on my own activity and effort is on this side. And on this side is righteousness that's given by God as grace through faith in Jesus. And Paul is presented with two options here, and he says, everything on this side is now lost. I'm letting go of everything on this side to lay hold of this. For Paul, it was an easy decision. Look at verse 7. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul says, everything that I had that was an asset, I lay aside. It's a loss now. Right? We had all these things back in the kids' wing that were assets. They are all loss now. Get it? Everything that I thought I had, I now consider loss because I have laid hold of Christ. And these are the options. And you're like, well, what does this have to do with New Year's resolutions. I'm glad you asked. The first half of the resolution that I would propose to you is to resolve in yourself this year to receive Christ's righteousness. That's the first half. Resolve in yourself this year. Today I'm starting, I'm going to resolve from here on out that I'm going to live not on my own righteousness, I'm going to receive Christ's righteousness. And I'm going to let Jesus call the shots from here on out. If you've never done that before, that's how you become a Christian. Nobody's born a Christian, this is how you become a Christian. You say, I surrender all of myself And I'm receiving the declaration of righteous from God on the basis of faith in Jesus. But even if you've done that before, I think 2023 we want to resolve in ourselves that we are going to be completely recipients of God's grace. That we're not going to try any longer to make ourselves worthy. That's the first half. Because I think where God has us going this year requires that we're not trying to posture ourselves. It requires that we're not trying to make ourselves fit in in a room and make people like us and make people think we're valuable and smart and beautiful because all of those things are us pursuing our own righteousness. I want to make myself valuable based on the things that I do and the things that I put out and the things that I perform. But for where we're going this year, we want to be people who say, I don't place any value in all of those things. All I place value in is that I have been laid hold of by Christ. Can we resolve in ourselves this year First, to lay hold of the righteousness that Christ offers. 
That's the first half. You're like, well, how do I do that? I want to give you a line that I want you to remember, and I want you to quote every time you find yourself trying to fit in in a room, trying to posture yourself as likable, trying to posture yourself. Jesus died so that I don't have to. Jesus died so I don't have to. Jesus died so that I don't have to make these people think I'm smart. Jesus died so that I don't have to make these people find worth in me. Jesus died so that I don't have to make myself beautiful in their eyes. Because the beautiful thing is, is God already saw you as lovable. God already saw you as valuable. Jesus gave up his life for you. That's how much value and love he has for you. Jesus died so I don't have to. I want you to remember that line. That's how we get started. Resolve to receive Christ's righteousness. Second half, I want to look with me at verses 10 and 11. It says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I want to know Christ, and the whole rest of that sentence is what it means to know Christ. Anybody have a problem with the rest of that sentence? You struggle with this like, I mean, look at what he says. He says, participation in his sufferings. We love the resurrection power, don't we? Don't you love it when you just lay hands on somebody and they get healed or you cast demons out of people? We love that resurrection power. Paul says, participation in the sufferings of Christ. It goes further, right? Becoming like him in his death. How many of you are looking forward to that one? Right? Everything in us goes, no, that's not the thing. We want to make our Christianity so that we don't suffer, that we never die. But Jesus says, come after me and take up your cross because you will. And if you want to be found in me, that's what it is to be found in me. You can make your own way. We can do all kinds of things to insulate us from those things that we don't like. But to follow Jesus is to embrace a life of suffering because you know that resurrection is on the other side. You participate in the sufferings of Jesus. What Paul is saying is that he doesn't want to just know facts about Jesus. This word know implies intimate knowledge. It's the way a husband and a wife know one another. It's the way a brother and a sister know one another. It doesn't have to be sexual. We don't have to make it weird. It's this intimate knowledge. You know things about to the depths of who people are, right? You have these people that you're like, oh, but you don't know their character. Like there's a way that my wife knows me and the fears that I have and the things that make me excited about life that nobody else knows. And what Paul is saying is, I want to know those things about Jesus I want to be so intimately connected to Jesus that I know his character, that I haven't just memorized a whole bunch of verses, that I haven't got a whole bunch of facts and I know exactly where on the map Philippi is, but that I know the heartbeat of Jesus, which is what the second half of my proposed resolution to you is. 
the second half that I want to commend to you as a New Year's resolution is to resolve to know Jesus intimately. Don't be content to just know facts about Jesus. Don't be content to just be able to quote page and verse about Jesus or to know where his hometown was. Don't be content with the trivial pursuit version of Jesus, but it's to know him intimately. And what's beautiful is the first part causes the second part to happen. If you resolve in yourself to receive Christ's righteousness, therefore you give up of your life, and Jesus is in charge, Jesus will walk you into the things he cares about. Jesus will walk you into the things that make his heart tick, which is why it's participation in Christ's sufferings. Because Jesus will walk you into the injustice in the world to participate, to bring the kingdom to bear in those places. And you'll be just weird enough because you're responding to Jesus because you're, what faith is is just living as if it's true, right? You know this? Faith is just living as if it's true. And so faith in Jesus is living as if Jesus really was crucified as the king and was actually resurrected and has established his kingdom. It's living as if that's true. And guess what? If you let Jesus walk you around and you live as if all that's true, everybody around you is going to be like, what's wrong with you? You're taking this a little too seriously, right? You're taking this a little too seriously. You give up weird things to follow Jesus. That's what faith is, is living as if this is true. It's experiential. It's more, it's more than just facts. It's living a life that's intimately connected to Jesus. Because here's what happens. We're going to explore some questions in the coming weeks, right? You saw the questions. If I'm completely honest, I'm not excited about dealing with some of them. But I'm, and I'm going to be faithful to the Bible, but they're questions that people genuinely want answers to. I'm going to live as if this is true. But what I have to do if I don't know the heartbeat of Jesus, what I have to do is I have to go back and, well, what does Jesus think about these things? Got to look it up. Got to get the page and verse. But if I know the heartbeat of Jesus, if I know the character of Jesus, if I hear the voice of Jesus, why we think hearing God's voice is so important, I'm more free to engage the world in real time. I'm actually free to be the kind of person who can transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel. So here's the resolution I want to recommend to you in full. Ready for this? Would you consider it? Resolve to receive Christ's righteousness and know him intimately. I want to put that to you this year. And what I will guarantee is if you live into that as fully as you're able, as fully as God gives you grace, it will change the rest of your life. I guarantee it. 
resolve to not try to build a righteousness of your own, to not try to say, look, God, at all of the righteous things I've done, you will have to find me valuable, but to say, no, 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 God knows that I'm valuable and I can live from that place. I'm not trying to earn anything. He's already given me everything. But here's the deal, and I want to wrap it up with this. You can't do this half-heartedly. I read an article a couple weeks ago um, about, you guys know Kobe Bryant, right? The, the basketball star. I read an article about his training regimen. Have you ever heard about this stuff? Most of the, most NBA players would practice twice in a day, and he figured out if I got up and started earlier, I could practice three times a day. So he would train three times a day, and if you expand three times a day, every day over the course of a career, he was training far and away above everyone else, which is what made him a, a great player. Some might say, well, you're taking this a little bit too seriously. <laughs> you're, you're, you're working a little bit too hard at this. But can I just say to you, most of the people who take something like that too seriously are the ones who actually attain it. If you actually want to be the person that Jesus invites us to be, we have to be people that everybody looks at and go, you're a little off kilter. You take this Jesus stuff a little bit too seriously. You guys remember DC Talk? How many of you know that, that band? Yeah. In 1995, DC Talk released this song called Jesus Freak. You remember the song? What will people think if they find out I'm a Jesus freak? And it's this fear, right, that we all sort of have of what the world around us is going to think if they think we take this Jesus stuff too seriously. And that's, it was actually in the 70s, those of you who were alive in the 70s and even the 60s with the Jesus people revival, it was a derogatory term thrown at these hippies who became Christians. You guys are crazy about this. You're Jesus freaks. So this song, DC Talk, comes out with, says, what will people think if I find out I'm a Jesus freak? Because it's, it's like, I think people are going to ostracize me and treat me weird. And the, the end of the line is, it's true, right? I guess I, don't, I guess I don't care if people find out that I'm a Jesus freak. That's what I'm inviting us to. That people around you would go, it seems like you're taking Jesus a little bit too seriously. It seems like you're striving really hard to live into this Jesus life. But guess what? That's what Paul says. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says the way that we get to live the life that Jesus invites us into is to become Jesus freaks. And that's my invitation to you. I think that what I'm inviting us to, to be people who resolve to receive Christ's righteousness and know him intimately. If you will live that life, you're going to be the people that everybody's like, you seem to take this Jesus thing too seriously. But you also become the people who can actually attain the thing that Jesus has laid hold of you for. Nobody ever achieved this by moderate interest and a little bit of half-hearted desire. 
All the people who live the most interesting Christian lives are people who take Jesus too seriously. And I think that's who God intends us to be. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.